I got a question to ask you. Are you letting your emotions guide you or define you? In other words, are you allowing the energy from emotions to equip you for bigger and more enjoyable tasks that you are deserving and are capable of achieving? Join me and Benji Shur. He is a, a mental health coach and an emotional fitness trainer and author of the book's feelings for shadow work and 10 mind hacks for quicker emotional healing. In this conversation that we had, we explored what it is to understand your feelings, why we may be hesitant to understand ourselves, and more importantly, allowing ourselves to be aware of who we are and our value that we have in our life. If you are interested in those kind of conversations, you're going to really love this conversation. And we're going to get to all of that and so much more coming to you after this short break. Hey, Benji, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Denise. How about you? I'm doing good. You know, I have to be honest and just be very clear. Like you were one of the few people that reached out to me that had unabashed honesty. And in a world where everyone's trying to people please and to find validation and approval in others, it was very unique and refreshing. and when we were first talking, you're like, well, that's just who I am as if it was like a steady state, but I know that wasn't easy. Would you, would you mind kind of just like explaining like the process to just being comfortable with how you felt about things, good or bad? I, it's interesting the way that you word that about, you know, being comfortable with, you know, sharing. Um, if I were to put it a certain way, it's, it's that I'm, I'm more uncomfortable not being honest. And this is the core of, of really what, you know, I, I don't, we haven't even done an intro. I don't know what people know about me at this point, but, you know, talking about mental health and all, all of the work that I do, all of this emotional healing at the core of it are three very simple fundamental words or two and a half, depending on how you're looking at it. Unconditional self-love. That is the core of being able to live, in my opinion, a peaceful life, a happy life, a fulfilling life. And you cannot have unconditional self-love while you are betraying yourself in any way. So being honest, being open is just about not betraying yourself in those ways. And yes, it has taken a lot of inner work to get to that point. I think that I was always... Honesty was always an important value to me, but we don't always recognize all the ways that we're not being honest. So it took a lot of learning and a lot of growth to sort of decipher and distinguish between the defense mechanisms that we put up and the ego that we put up and the persona that we project out onto the outside world as a way of keeping ourselves safe and the real core version of you that's inside. So this healing work that I do and that I teach with people, it's about peeling off those layers of armor that you've been building for a lifetime that were designed to keep you safe and being willing to express yourself and recognizing that, look, when you express your true self, one, like in 100% of cases, there are going to be people who don't resonate with you. It's just the case. No matter who you are, you could be God, you could be the devil, you could be Jesus, you could be Buddha, you could be a crack addict. Anywhere in between, there are some people who are going to resonate with you and what you have to say, and there are some people who are going to resent you for what you have to say. And part of the idea behind self-love, you know, it's a common topic, is go where you are appreciated, not just tolerated. So I've had to learn that lesson over time and walk away from places where I was only being tolerated and recognize that it's not worth me spending my energy there and finding the places where you are appreciated. And it's in those places that you can learn how to shine, that you can learn how to be your most authentic self and be of service to this world in a way that really resonates with you. I'm really resonating a lot with this because you're absolutely right. You could be uh, an angel, you could be 
donating to charitable events and someone could be saying, I don't like the way you act. And it really isn't about you. It's about their projection of their own insecurities. And it's how you receive that. And are, are, are you going to make that cornerstone of your identity? Like, oh my goodness, I'm only worth what this total stranger who has their own insecurities are saying. Are you, are you about being comfortable with sharing stuff to the point where you feel uncomfortable, as you mentioned, to not share it? It takes a lot more energy to hide who you are and to protect yourself from that potential judgment. It's just that for most of our lives, we didn't know how to deal with that emotional discomfort that comes up when someone doesn't resonate with who you are. So throughout our lives, it, it happens in a thousand different ways. The simplest example that I like to give, I don't know why, this was just what popped into my head when I wanted to make this point for the first time and it just stuck with me. It can be something as simple as you're five, six years old and you tell one of your friends, oh, I really like this TV show. And your friend goes, oh, that TV show is stupid and you're stupid for liking it. Well, Guess what? In that moment, you just learned a big lesson. You learned, wait a minute, here's something that I felt passionate about, that I enjoyed, something that I loved, and I shared that with someone that I trusted and that I was hoping and expecting to support me in that. And I was met with judgment. I was met with rejection. I was met with just, yeah, judgment. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. And there's this internal contraction that happens in that moment tighten up inside because it feels like a threat. You don't feel safe in that moment. You don't know what's going to happen in the long run. Are you going to be rejected? Are you going to be pushed away? Are you going to lose a friend? Are you going to be teased, bullied, made fun of? Who knows what's going to happen? So you don't feel safe in that moment. And if you generally process and express your emotions, if you cry in that moment, or if you, you know, speak up, it's usually going to lead to even more rejection, even more pain. So you start learning this lesson. No, wait a minute. If I am my true, authentic self, if I just openly share all the things that I love about myself and about the world and about people, then I'm going to be met with that kind of rejection, that kind of judgment. And I don't like the pain that comes along with that rejection and that judgment. So, hmm, okay, how do I avoid that kind of pain? Okay, well, I guess I have to start acting in a way that is not necessarily a reflection of who I am, but that is a reflection of what is going to get me approval and what is going to keep me safe from people's judgment. And so we start acting more and more and more in a way, like based on that example, I might now learn that like, okay, well, the next person that I speak to, maybe I shouldn't talk about that show, or maybe I should ask them what they like before I say what I like, or, or maybe I should act just, I, I, I've got to find some way of making sure that this doesn't happen again. And we start building up an identity we build up our entire personality around those defense mechanisms, not realizing that we're doing it. So we take on all of these habits and traits and little quirks and, and little ways of expressing ourselves that aren't actually in alignment with who we really are. They're in alignment with what we think will be met with approval in the outside world. And at the beginning, that might be necessary because you are young or because you don't have the tools and skills and you don't know how to deal with that emotional distress. So at the beginning, you, you kind of have to. But over time, you, you don't even realize that you've been doing that. And you lose track of who you've become, which is why people get to their 20s, 30s, 40s, and they just, they don't feel like themselves. They don't feel like, they, like anybody sees them like anybody truly understands them. And it's all because they've spent a lifetime actively not showing their true selves to the world. And then they get bitter and not they, it's we, I'm not, you know, it's not judgmental, but we all kind of do it. We get bitter, we get frustrated, we get, you know, disappointed, we get depressed and we get anxious because it is so immensely tiring to constantly put up that facade but at a certain point, you don't even realize that it's a facade. So you're constantly being drained 
and you don't even know why. And you just keep on going through your life and going through your life and going through your life. And this is why it sometimes often takes some immense trauma or some terrible thing in your life. It's a shame that as humans, we often wait until everything falls apart in order to rediscover ourselves. And that's what an awakening is. It's why, like, if you're talking about a spiritual awakening or an emotional awakening or however you want to look at it, these things usually come after a period of intense pain. Something terrible happens, something tragic happens, and it forces you to retreat back into yourself. And for me, it was at around the age of like 27 to 30 that I finally started discovering who I really was underneath all of those defense mechanisms. Wow, there's so much to unpack with that. You know, one of the things that just popped in my mind as you were speaking was that a a coward dies a death thousand times, but a hero only dies one death. And that season of in your late 20s, early 30s, where you're just going through the motions, but trying to please, trying to get along, trying to adapt, it's it's Benji, like when I'm thinking about it, like part of it's because we as human beings, we're hardwired for survival. And survival means don't rock the boat. Survival means conformity. Survival means adaptability. And so many of us have adapted to the stress of the point is slowly rotting our souls away. Honestly, I would say it's most of us, almost all of us. And like I said, most we, we don't realize that it's happening. And, you know, as G.I. Joe would say, knowing is half the battle. So realizing for the first time. And so you said, like, I think you use the phrase, um, you know, going through the motions kind of thing. And at the age of 27 or when I started going through that, I, I wouldn't consciously describe the life I was living as going through the motions because I was I was still living a unique life. I was still like I had dropped out of law school and was running a recording studio and was working in some clubs and I was performing burlesque, which as a straight man, like who <laughs> I, I barely know anyone. It's never uh, hardly came across anyone else. So I was doing things that were outside of the norm. And I was, I thought that I was living a life of true self-expression and true self-love, but it was just all of these little patterns and behaviors like on the surface I was living my own unique life, but right underneath that were all of the patterns and all of the behaviors that within that life, I was still desperate for approval. I was still looking for permission to be myself in a certain way. I think that's, that's one of the biggest things that, you know, so many of us, we're looking for approval maybe from our parents, maybe from our friends. We're looking for approval from society. And especially when it comes to parents, you know, like we, we think that we need to gain their, again, approval. But what I realized over time was that that approval that you're looking for from these other people is actually just looking for permission to be yourself. Because all along the way, you started learning the lesson that, wait a minute, being myself, my true self, isn't going to be met with that kind of, that kind of approval, that kind of praise, that kind of appreciation that all of us crave inside. And so we go around thinking that, hmm, if I can just earn my parents' approval, then I will feel good about myself. But it has nothing to do with your parents. You're just waiting for someone to tell you you are allowed to be you. And as cheesy as it sounds, the irony is that you are the only one that needs to give you that permission. And what I realized is that as soon as I started learning how to give myself that permission, only then was I able to truly get the approval from the people that I wanted it anyway. I wanted it from anyway. I wasn't prepared to ask this question, but I'm just, just going to put you on the spotlight and just ask like, what were your motivations to get in and then get out of law school? Ah, okay. So that's an interesting one. I, I had no reason to hold back on that question. 
So um, getting into law school, short version of some of the backdrop. Um, my first university degree, I did a honors degree in philosophy and world religions. And I did that because I was trying to figure out for myself what I truly believed about life in the universe. And because I was dealing with an intense fear of death and I was looking for, I was studying philosophy and religion, hoping to find answers, hoping to find some way to not be so scared about that. Got to the end of that degree, hadn't found the answers that I was hoping for and still kind of felt lost and hopeless and decided, okay, if I can't find any grand answers, then the way that I want to live my life is I want to pursue my passions and my hobbies. I don't want to get caught up in the rat race. Like if, if there is no greater meaning to this life, then I really just want to get the most out of my time here. So I started playing bass in a band, plenty of stories there, but we'll just skip over that. After about three and a half years, when I left the band, that's when, I mean, like I went into not my first, but one of my big periods of depression, just wondering like, what do I do with myself now? Because I hadn't wanted to go into any specific career. Like I wanted to make the most out of my life and music was the thing I was most passionate about. And the band that I was playing in, like that was my best chance. If I wasn't going to make it playing music in that band, I was never going to make it. Long stories. But anyway, so I spent like six months after that, as soon as I left the band, trying to figure out what to do with my life. Going through every option in the book. Like not literally, but imagine that you just had, here's the big book of careers. And you open it up and go page by page by page and going through every one and just not a single one of them felt right. And... So the way that I like to phrase it is, what does a good Jewish boy with a background in philosophy do when he's given up on life? He goes to law school. Because I couldn't find anything worth, like anything that really felt right to me. But because of just how my mind works, my intellect and the training in philosophy, philosophy and law tend to go hand in hand because there's a way of thinking that, you know, kind of blends those two things. So it just made sense. If I have no idea what I want to do with my life and I'm depressed and hopeless and just like I have no direction, well, law is something that I'm going to be good at and it's going to pay well. And, you know, so I might as well. And so I did the LSATs and I got into McGill Law, which is this pretty prestigious program. You know, it's uh, McGill is referred to sometimes as the Harvard of the North and, you know, hard to get into, but I got in and... I knew that I didn't really want to be there. And like immediately, the first day that I showed up at law school and saw all of the people around me, it was like with no judgment at all, just this isn't me. It just didn't feel right. I looked at them and they're all, you know, I, I don't know, kind of like they're freshly pressed clothes and just the way they stood, the way they talked, just everything about them was like, I can match you guys but it doesn't feel right. So I just had to, again, just spend so much of my energy stuffing myself away in order to make that work. And so I made it through a couple of years of law school and I was doing well enough. I was getting B pluses, A minus for the most part. Um, I was the guy that would, you know, I, I, I tried. I really did. I tried to care. I tried to put in massive amounts of work. But even after the first semester, I was the guy that would show up to the first day of class and then show up at the last day of class for the exam. And then people would go, you're in this class. I'm in this class. I'll take the exam and get a B plus or something. And I was fine. I wasn't fighting for top of the class. But by the end of the second year, I was so anxious and so depressed because of it that I could barely get out of bed. I could barely eat. I could barely sleep. I could barely do anything because in my mind it was just like, so this is my life now for the next 40 to 50 years. This is what I'm going to be doing. And it didn't mean anything to me. And it was stressful and it was, you know, it was just a painful process. I think on my Facebook profile at the time, it said, it asks like, where do you go to school? And I said, McGill, and what are you studying? And I wrote how to kill one soul. So that's how I felt about it the whole time. And so at the end of the second year, that's when like my higher self stepped in and was just like, look, you're going down the wrong path. Um, we're not having any of this and it's time to, to start nudging you. So in the summer of my second year, I found 
an ad online for a band that was looking for a manager. And I responded to their ad and walked into that room. And as soon as I walked in there, even though I had no idea what I was doing, I never managed a band. I just like just walked in. I instantly felt at home there in a way that I absolutely did not feel at home in law school. And that started my path out. So I started uh, managing the band a little bit. And then that led me, I started organizing some music events, starting at the restaurant that I was working at. Then I started doing some bookings for some bands. And then I started working in a recording studio. Um, Like the old bandmate of mine was living in a recording studio. And I just started kind of renting time there. And it just snowballed to like, okay, this is what I want to do. To the point where... I mean, I was out of my mind to drop out of law school and build a recording studio. I had never used a power tool before in my life. I had no training as a sound engineer. It's just, like I said, my higher self took over. I couldn't fight it anymore. And I was just so gung-ho. Like, realistically, looking back on it, I was in a manic state of bipolar because I had been super depressed, like playing in the band, going to law school, building my recording studio, going into depression, doing, you know, just like bit by, it was just this constant up and down of stuffing myself away and being depressed and believing that anything is possible and I'm going to, I'm the king of the world and I can do this. And then being depressed and not knowing. And anyways, when I finally went to drop out of law school, you have to have a meeting with the guidance counselor because they're used to people who are just like, so, so stressed, you know, like they're, dropping out because they believe they can't do it or something like that. And I remember I went into my meeting with the guidance counselor with this giant smile on my face. She's like, are you sure you won't like, you know, you put in two years. Are you sure you want to do this? Like, like, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Let me out. And yeah, bit by bit, it snowballed then to the recording studio and into the burlesque. And then there's whole stories there. And, that uh, that kind of burlesque club was ground zero for my awakening and my transformation that led me to the work that I'm doing now. I'm so glad that you explained that because when we first talked, you said you had a psychotic experience. And I was like, wait, huh? And <laughs> I was like, well, let, let's, yeah. let's figure what that was all about. And as you were talking, there was these words that just popped up in my mind. It was, I can try to match you guys, but it doesn't feel right. I try to care. I try to put in the work. And was I, as I think about those words that you said, it seemed like a betrayal of yourself, your identity, your purpose, who you really are. And I don't really know what was going on as you were talking with your parents and trying to be the good Jewish boy and you're in and trying to break everything down to them and really feeling, will I still be loved? Will I still be cared for? Will I still be viewed as a worthwhile person in this world? I don't know if you felt that way, but I know people that I know who have had those junctures and those points where like, I, I can't, I gotta go, I, I gotta move, felt as if their support network would just be ripped from them by making these types of decisions and, and breaking away. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't quite like that for me, at least as far as my parents goes, because they knew from day one that I didn't want to be in law school. Um, my dad was actually like, I, I, I struggled to get their support in terms of what I was moving into. They didn't understand the whole building a recording studio thing and they didn't believe in it. And, and I had similar struggles helping them understand Um, you know, when I started doing this work as a mental health coach and I don't blame them for it because like I said, I was out of my mind doing these things. And like, imagine a parent watching your kid, like he has no experience in this, not to mention that music is a hard industry to make it in overall. So I had trouble maybe getting them to understand what I was doing. And again, I don't blame them because it was kind of crazy, but I didn't have to, you know, get their approval. I wasn't worried that they were going to look down on me for getting out of law school anyway. Um, but as, and as far as the, you know, self-betrayal goes there, you're absolutely right. And that is what I was saying. But on the other hand of things, I don't believe that it was a mistake. Exactly. I believe that even my time in law school was a necessary part of my journey. 
And uh, one of the things that, uh, that I've said for a while was that the best thing that I got from my years in law school was knowing for sure that I didn't want to be there. Because following your real authentic path, building the recording studio, building this mental health uh, coaching business, um, when you're trying to follow something that's off the beaten path, there's going to be a lot of challenges. It's not going to work out right away. And you're going to wonder to yourself all the time, is this ever going to work? Am I doing the right thing? Should I have just gone the regular route? And if I hadn't had those two years in law school, then every time things got tough, when I was building the recording studio, you know, when I was doing my groceries at the dollar store kind of thing, because I, you know, I was deeply in debt and couldn't support my, you know, I was just barely getting by. Um, or just uncertain of myself and my skills and my future, just all of those things. Whenever I would question myself, it would have been easy to slip into self-doubt and be, man, I should have just gone and been a lawyer. But because I had been there, because I knew how painful it was to betray myself in that way, it gave me the strength that I needed to keep on going down the only path that actually did feel right. So I, you know, if you're looking at it from the spiritual perspective, from the top down, like I believe that it was a necessary part of my journey. There was even a part of me my entire life that kind of knew that that's how things were going to play out. And I'm glad that I got out when I did, but it, you know, it had to happen. That's okay. Everything is being uniquely and beautifully designed, even the downfalls, even the twists and turns that come along the way. And I love the fact that you embrace your past as a collage that makes you who you are, Benji. And I celebrate that because a lot of people are using their past as a, a stick to bludgeon themselves against rather than celebrating it as something that's elevating them to where they're meant to be. I think it's very important to look at our lives as a whole. You know, oftentimes we look at individual pieces of our lives that maybe didn't go right. And we look at that as a failure or, or even just when you're in the moment. Like we as humans, we have this constant urge to always be somewhere other than where we are right now. You want the success, you want the love. And you believe that if you don't have all of those things right here, right now, then you're failing or you're missing out on something. But there is no such thing as a journey or a story or a life where every moment is exactly what you want it to be. There's no such thing as a good movie that doesn't have conflict and that doesn't have ups and downs. Every story needs all of this in order to make it all worthwhile. Or an example that I used with my clients the other day, it's like, imagine that you're driving down a road and you're trying to get from point A to point B. And it's as if like every moment that you're driving, that you're actually moving forward, you're going, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. That's awesome. I'm doing a great job. And then every time you hit a red light, you go, oh no, I'm never going to get there. What's wrong? Why aren't I moving forward? What is wrong with my life? And then green light, I'm getting there. It's going well. It's going well. Red light, oh no, what's happening? Why isn't it working? That's just how driving works. There's green lights, there's red lights. And sometimes you have to pause and, and sometimes you have to take a detour. But the point is a, the journey, because we have to learn along the way as cheesy as that sounds, you know, I know it's all these cliches, but there are reasons these cliches become cliches. So the journey itself is the point learning how to be okay with wherever you're at and recognizing that every bit of it is a part of how you end up getting to where you want to be. So. If you're at a point in your life right now where you don't have everything that you want, and maybe there were times in your life where you had more and maybe you're hoping to achieve more in the future, it's so easy to sit in that moment and go, oh my God, why isn't anything working? Why don't I have the things that I want to have? Why, why, what's, what's going to happen? Am I ever going to get there? But if you look at your life as a whole and you look at the overarching journey and you recognize, okay, well, there's periods where I have this and periods where I have that, and there's different stages and there's progression and there's evolution. If you can see that higher perspective of your life, 
then the moments where you don't have what you want, the moments of struggle become just, yeah, that's just the road that we're going on. And if you did have a life where every moment you had everything that you wanted without any of those struggles, then firstly, you wouldn't appreciate the good things. You wouldn't learn and grow from anything. You would have nothing to share with this world. There would be no no higher meaning to your life. If you just was get, were given everything that you ever wanted every moment of every day without ever having to work for any of it, without ever having to struggle for any of it, like, yeah, it would be a lot of pleasure, but there would be no meaning, at least in my perspective. There's conflicts. I know that people are listening to this message right now and they're conflicted. Because, Benji, let's be frank, nobody wants to be in discomfort. Nobody wants to receive pain. They intellectually knows that maturity comes from a result of suffering. Those are just facts. And we live in a society that says, with this click right here, all your pains will go away. I'm and they're like, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Sorry, go on. I'm just writing down so I don't forget what to say. <laughs> yeah. 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 No worries. And so when we're, this is a great segue into your emotional fitness training. Because intellectually, I know people here are listening, they're educated, they're entrepreneurs, they're business owners, they're, they're movers and shakers. They know what they need to do intellectually, but they're conflicted because of what society says, because of their issues with their, their, their past they haven't worked through. And there's like, Benji, I just don't want to feel any pain. I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel dysfunction anymore. So I will drink away. I will eat sugar away. I will just bury myself in an endless list of things to do. So I think there are two very interesting words that you used. So you, you said on the one hand um, that people don't want to be in discomfort. Absolutely true. And then you said that people don't want to suffer. And I think that is a super important distinction to make. Yeah, none of us want to be in discomfort, but as you said, you know, growth only happens in the discomfort. But there is there's a big difference between discomfort and suffering. And in my opinion, the line between discomfort and suffering is resistance. Being in discomfort is okay. You know, if you're recently uh, you know, it was a Jewish holiday, I fasted over the day. And the fasting is discomfort there. But because I'm not afraid. It's not like, oh my God, am I never going to eat again? Is something terrible going to happen? Am I going to die? Because I'm not resisting the experience. It's not suffering. The suffering only comes when you attach fear to that discomfort. When you believe that the discomfort means something terrible. And I mean, everything that is, that is worth achieving in this life will require some level of discomfort, but the discomfort is not a problem. It's only it only becomes a problem when you start giving extra meaning to that discomfort and when you become afraid of it. And that is when you end up trying to drown those things with the alcohol, with drugs, with sex, with TV, all of those things. And the irony being that none of those things actually heal the discomfort. They actually, like the discomfort is what it feels like when you are growing. And if you resist that, well, hey, guess what? You get stuck. And that there's constantly this, when it comes to discomfort, it's your body's way of processing something, working through something, or at least this is what I say when it comes to emotional discomfort anyway. Maybe it's not exactly the same with physical discomfort. When it comes to emotional discomfort, you know, that turning feeling in your stomach, the tightness in your chest, the lump in your throat, the moments of sadness, the, the moments of fear, that's just your body's way of trying to process emotional energy. And it needs to process that emotional energy. Because if you don't, then that energy gets stuck inside of you. And I don't just mean this, like, you don't only need to interpret this in a spiritual sense of spiritual energy. We're talking about physics here. Basic physics, where there's potential energy and kinetic energy. So if you take a spring and you start compressing it, then that spring is, um, there's potential energy 
building up in it. When you let go of the spring, it pops out and that it turns into kinetic energy. And that kinetic energy releases the tension and it moves whatever you have put on that spring. And this is what's happening with our emotions. That a moment of sadness, a moment of fear, a moment of guilt, a moment of shame, our body has natural ways of purging these emotions. We cry, we scream, we shake, we laugh. There are a whole bunch of other ways, sometimes sweating, sometimes vomiting. There's all sorts of ways that the body naturally dissipates this energy. But over the years, because we've learned that expressing our emotions and processing them is going to lead to rejection and pain, like we were talking about before, we stop doing that. We start holding on to it. And over time, we start developing this fear around those emotions. So now when something happens in my life and it triggers this unresolved pain and trauma that's been stuck inside of me, that pain comes up to the surface. It's been buried there the whole time and you've been living with defense mechanisms on top of it. And those defense mechanisms have been causing you problems in your life. It's how you keep people at arm's length. It's how you push people away. It's turning to drugs. It's, it's all of these kinds of things. So the defense mechanisms have been causing problems in your life because they are there to help you avoid feeling the emotions. So you get triggered in your life and your heart that's been holding on to all of these unresolved emotions sends up this pain to the surface and goes, hey, Here's this pain that you didn't deal with 10, 20, 30 years ago. You promised me that you were going to deal with it when you were safe. Are you ready to finally purge and process these emotions? But we're still afraid of them. So we turn to those things and it stuffs them away. And the point that I'm getting at is that that energy needs to be processed. And the discomfort that you feel inside of you is just what it feels like when your body is processing that. And if you learn how to let go of the fear around that discomfort, then your body can finally go through the purging process that has been trying to go through this whole time. The big problem is that we perceive emotional discomfort as a threat because in the past when we expressed emotional discomfort, it led to that rejection that we're talking about. But the emotional discomfort, that energetic discomfort. That's the way I, I, the things like the turning feeling in the pit of your stomach, tightness in your chest. I like to refer to those as energetic sensations because they're, they are sensations. You feel them in your body, but they're not technically physical. Like you can't point an x-ray machine at that turning feeling in the pit of your stomach and see the turning feeling it's, or see, you know, what's happening physically. So those sensations and the emotions, that's just what it feels like when your body is processing these things. But we have come to associate those as a threat. So the emotions come up. That's your body's way of trying to heal. All you need to do is let go and let it happen. But oh no, the last time I let that happen, I was judged for it. I was rejected for it. I was pushed away for it. Some, some, someone broke up with me for it. I was fired because of it. Something terrible happened. So this feeling that I'm having right now must mean that something is wrong. So I'm going to look around me and I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to analyze every area of my life and find where the problem is. And so we distract ourselves from the actual pain that's going on inside. We push it away. And now we move to start logically trying to solve the external problems in our life, thinking that, okay, well, here's this pain. And hmm, where is this pain coming from? That pain doesn't make sense. The mind doesn't like anything that doesn't make sense, that's not rational specifically. And the pain that you're experiencing in that moment isn't rational, it's emotional. But so I, I'm, not, I, I'm feeling that discomfort and I don't want to feel that discomfort. My brain doesn't like the fact that it's just coming from nowhere. It's coming from the past. It's coming from inside, but it doesn't like that. So it's going to look for a problem. And it looks to your life. It looks to, okay, well, hmm, I'm not making enough money. Or hmm, I'm, I'm single and I don't have the love that I want, or maybe I don't have the friends that I want, or maybe I'm not spending enough time doing this or this or that or whatever. And so now your mind is going. There wasn't a real problem a second ago other than the emotional discomfort, but now your mind's like, oh, well, that discomfort must be because I'm single. So now I've got to go find a relationship. Maybe if I find a relationship, then I will feel whole. Or maybe if I make money, then my pain will go away. Maybe if I start practicing, you know, martial arts or something, or if I take up a new hobby, or if I move to a different country, maybe that will make the pain go away. And we do all of these things trying to run 
from something that you literally can't run from because it's stuck inside there. The best that you can do is numb it for a certain period of time. And we confuse, you know, I was saying energetic discomfort. We confuse energetic discomfort with physical discomfort. So there's that emotional and energetic pain going on inside of us. And the best thing that we can think of to do is, all right, well, I'm going to drink a bunch of alcohol because that's going to shift my consciousness. It's going to divert my body's energy because the energy that a moment ago was going to feeling that discomfort, now my body needs to divert that energy to processing this alcohol. So it distracts our minds and our bodies from that pain. But hey, that energy is still there. It ain't going anywhere. So you can distract yourself from it for a little bit or you move countries, like I said, or you get a new job or you start making more money expecting that, well, my mind was telling me that that was the problem. So if I solve that problem, then the pain is going to go away, right? But, but that was never the real problem. The real problem is what's going on in here, which is why people go through their entire lives and some of them will check off everything on the list. All right, I've got the six-figure job. I've got the house with the white picket fence. I've got the partner and the 2.5 kids and the nice car, and I've got the respect of my peers, and I've got everything that the world told me that I should get. Why am I still not happy? Well, it's because none of, again, cheesy as it sounds, we know none of those things are going to solve that. But when you solve this first, then you can bring a whole different version of yourself out into the world and you can create a fulfilling life for yourself that includes all of those things. But we're also distracted trying to solve the pain by solving the external problems that all that we're doing is numbing that pain for decades before we ever stop and look inside and go, hmm, I wonder why none of those things that I've accomplished solved the pain that I'm in. Not long ago, a depth psychologist Carl Jung once said that what you resist not only persists, but will grow in size. And <laughs> Benji, remember spring 2020, the world officially, at least in the West, shut down. And everybody said, well, this is going to be a great reset. This is going to be the moment where everyone's going to pause. We're going to reconnect with our families. We're going to be greater stewards of our emotional health. We're not going to be rushing to meetings and all these things. We can focus on us and getting well. And as I record this, we're having this conversation in October 2023. I'm just going to be very frank and say, I don't think anyone learned a damn thing. So I'm maintaining a perhaps naive optimism, firstly about the future of the world overall, you know, climate change and all of that. Like I went through my spiritual awakening leading up to 2020 and my emotional awakening leading up. And there's part of me that believes like, to whatever extent the spiritual awakening was real, because by now we, we, you mentioned this, there's a part of me that recognizes like some of it was like, I was just psychotic at the time. Like I was out of my mind, bipolar, manic, whatever. But some of it was real because how is it possible that that spiritual awakening led me to what is undeniably my real calling? Like with no ego, with no arrogance, I'm really good at what I do. This is what I am here on this planet to do. I'm not great at many things. This is me. So how is it possible that that spiritual awakening, which was at least partly psychotic, led me to my true calling if there wasn't some truth there? And that gives me hope that like, how is it possible that I went through an awakening to find my true purpose if the world is really going to crap right now? But it, in, more specifically in relation to what you were saying, I do believe that what happened in 2020 has nudged us in a new direction. It's just that everyone expected that like, this is just going to happen. Oh, it's 2020 and the world shuts down for a bit and we're all going to learn that lesson. That's not what happened, but we cannot deny that so far this decade has been insane. The world is going through some change. Like, I don't know exactly how old you are, but it was like the world was going and the world was going and the world was going and the world was going. And then 2020, whoa, big left turn. And everything since there has been completely insane. With 2023, uh, I mean, 
chat GPT and AI coming out into the public and, and more and more people are working from home. More and more people are doing this inner work. There is just like, we are realizing things and you know, the, the wokeness of the world, which to like, that's a whole different topic. Like to me, the term woke always just meant being aware of the injustices and inequalities in society. And then it, you know, it's been, there's weird things going on in, on that extreme left side of the, of the curtain also. But we are going through a shift. People are realizing things. We are changing things. It's just that this doesn't happen like that. And the really interesting thing, like this is exactly how it happens with your emotional healing also. That you wanted to just be like, hmm, I've been living my whole life betraying myself. And you want to, some people just want to like, oh, I want to go take mushrooms one day and it's going to solve all my problems. Or I, I have that moment of awakening or I do one mini course and, you know, everything changes all of a sudden. That's not how it works. That how it works is, and in relation to both your emotional healing and to what's going on in the world right now, the problems that have been going on for decades, centuries, millennia, they've been buried underneath the surface. We haven't noticed them specifically. You know, things like racism, sexism, all that has been more in the um, the zeitgeist, the, you know, public discussion for the last, let's say, 50, 60, 100 years. But it's a lot of it has still been buried. A lot of the political corruption has still been buried. A lot of the problems with our education system, with the healthcare system, it, it's taken us a long time to realize these things. Climate change also. There were some people, you know, kind of at the top, and I don't mean a conspiracy way. I mean, the people who are running the oil companies, they've known for a hundred years the damage that they were doing. We didn't. And the way that this healing goes, is the problems that were buried underneath the surface need to come to the surface in order to be dealt with. And when the problems come to the surface, it's easy to think, oh my God, things are worse than ever. You know, if you spent a lifetime, an example that I like to use, sarcasm, is an emotional defense mechanism that we use to keep people at arm's distance. And maybe you've been using sarcasm as that way to keep yourself safe for 20 years, but you never noticed it. You never realized that you were doing it. Now, finally, you, you sit down with a friend or a therapist or someone that points out to you and finally makes you see, hey, do you realize that you use sarcasm as a way to, to keep people away? Oh my God, you're right, I do. But that doesn't mean that you're instantly going to stop being sarcastic. It takes time. You have to notice it. You have to pay attention to it. You have to start working on it. And as I said, I'm maintaining a perhaps naive optimism that that's what the world is going through right now. So many of these buried problems that have been going on are now coming to the surface. And when they're at the surface, when they're buried, you don't notice them. So it's easy to go happy along, walking down the trail. Oh, everything's fine and everything's great. But it's not. Those problems have been there. You have been using that sarcasm to keep people at arm's length for 20 years and you have never had a healthy relationship because of it. But now it's at the surface. And while it's at the surface, you're judging yourself for it. Every time that you say something sarcastic, like, God damn it, I did it again. And you think that you're doing worse now than you were before. Because before, happy-go-lucky, oh, I don't even notice anything that's going on. Now it's, oh my God, why am I doing this? And we judge ourselves for it, not recognizing that, no, that's, that's what the healing looks like. You need to notice it. You need to pay attention to it. And this is one of the big first steps that I work on with my clients. That... You need to start learning to genuinely be proud of yourself for catching the things that you're doing wrong. If you notice that you're being sarcastic and you just pushed someone away, instead of, God damn it, why am I still doing this? It's, hey, look at that. I caught myself. I noticed that I did it. And yes, the fact that I did it, that wasn't great. But you're not failing by having done it. Because that's just how you've been doing things for 20 years. You succeeded by catching yourself. And if you judge yourself, like if you're trying to get control of your sarcasm, let's say, if every time that you notice yourself being sarcastic, you judge yourself for it, you give yourself shame and you give yourself guilt and you give yourself anger. Well, hey, guess what? Those are just more uncomfortable emotions that you're going to need to run from. So if you start training your brain that when I catch myself 
doing something wrong, you're going to be met with judgment. Then what do you think is happening? You're programming that same cycle. In the past, when you fully expressed yourself, you were met with judgment. And that's why you built up this defense mechanism of sarcasm in the first place. And now, as you're trying to heal the sarcasm, it comes up to the surface and you judge yourself for it. Well, hey, guess what? That's just a looping cycle. So the healing process is about allowing the buried things to come to the surface, being proud of yourself, and releasing the resistance around it. Which, the good news of that, for everyone that's listening that wants to do this emotional healing work, keep in mind what I said. The healing is about allowing the things that are buried to come to the surface. I mean, you don't need to go searching for pain and trauma to heal. You don't need to spend time analyzing your past and figuring it all out because all that you need to do is release the resistance. These things are trying to come up all the time. Your body is trying to help you heal. That's your triggers. When you're standing in line at the grocery store and someone's taking a long time to pay in front of you and you're going, God damn it, I got to get out of here. Why are you taking so long? Finish counting your pennies, God damn it. Well, hey, guess what? You're getting triggered in that moment. It has nothing to do with the fact that someone's taking a long time to pay. That is your unresolved trauma coming to the surface. But instead of feeling into it, you go into your thoughts and go, God damn it, why is this person doing it? And because you're thinking those things, then your body tenses up inside. And because your body tenses up inside, then you're producing more anger and more fear and more guilt and more shame. And that anger and fear and guilt and shame creates more thoughts. And those thoughts create more sensations. And those sensations create more emotions. And those emotions create more thoughts. And around and around and around and around we go. All because, as I said earlier, we have learned to become afraid of feeling that discomfort inside of us. When that discomfort is really just, hey, that's your past trauma saying, hi, here I am. Please look at me. Please look at me. Please look at me. Please look at me. You promised me that you were going to deal with me when you were safe. Are you safe? Are you ready to deal with me? Your head goes, no, 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 no. We're, we're not safe. Are you kidding me? This healing is just about recognizing that you are finally safe to experience that discomfort. And when you release the resistance around it and you release the fear around it, then experiencing that discomfort doesn't become the suffering that it currently is. It's just, yeah, it's just, okay, it's a little uncomfortable for now, but oh, that's great. I'm proud of myself. And as soon as I, if I release the resistance around and allow myself to go through this discomfort, then on the other side of this emotional storm, I'm going to be better stronger, happier, healthier. I'm going to have released whatever it is that is causing that discomfort right now. So, wow, I can allow myself to go through it and not be so afraid of it. And yes, it's uncomfortable and yes, it's unpleasant, but it's not a threat and I'm safe. And that is how we turn this healing from sitting down and, and journaling and analyzing, Ooh, where does this habit come from? Who cares where it comes from? Fact is that it's here. Let's just focus on what it feels like right here, right now. The healing can be simple in that way. It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable, but it can be simple and it doesn't have to induce suffering. Ooh, we'll get you a glass of water there, Benchy. You, you, you said a lot to give people the things, to, for things to think about. I want to backpedal a comment that I said about the world didn't know a damn thing. You know, as I think about what you said, there were pockets of awareness, yourself included, myself included. There are people who have used this as their wake up call. When we think of what the world as a collective, there's still more growth. And you're absolutely right. Change does happen incrementally, all at, not all at once. And I know that we live in this Insta culture where, we want everything instantly all at once. And those habits, those patterns, they took a lot of time to develop. It's We're not going to wave a magic wand and take them away. So it does include a level of patience, a level of gratitude that you have this awakening now. We're not going to talk about things that haven't happened yet to you because in this moment right now you could be aware and grateful that you are learning more about yourself and learning about interacting with your fellow human being with love and gentleness and respect and not just wanting to lash out or feeling bad about yourself and this idea that you talk about we don't have to examine everything all at once 
you know, it, it maybe just in this moment, we can just allow the energy to be released and not really overanalyzing what that is. It's just, let's just release. It's not going to kill us. We're not going to get in. We can't let ourselves take that discomfort and morph it into suffering. And there's one last thing on my mind that I'm thinking about right now is that too many of us are making permanent solutions to temporary discomfort. And we're getting into marriages. We're getting in and out of schools. We're having major life decisions based on the discomfort of people who may or may not approve our decisions. And now's the time for those of you who are listening, like to say, is this a wake up call? Like, is this a moment where like me, I'm, I may be going on a path that's not honest to me right now. Maybe I need to get more connected with those feelings. And, and as you always say, uh, Benji, we don't have to intellectualize those feelings. <laughs> because we're smart people like to intellectualize things. They like to hear the why behind the what. And sometimes there is no why. Maybe it just is. It's, it's interesting the way you said it. So smart people like to intellectualize. Wise people know that sometimes you don't need to. And, you know, there's this um, theory, this statement. It's said oftentimes that truly intelligent people suffer more these days because they can see the problems with the world that ignorant people don't. And I used to believe that that was true because first day I always considered myself an intelligent person and I was suffering more looking around at the world and didn't feel at home here and looking at all of the injustices and all of the things. And what I eventually realized was it's not your intelligence that makes you suffer. There's the intellectual intelligence and that's not at all what's causing your suffering. The problem is the lack of emotional intelligence. We have only been trained to be prized for what's up here. In the modern Western world, hardly anyone has raised us. Like, I think the new generation is being trained like this a little more. We are being prized to, um, to live with self-love. We are being encouraged with that. But, you know, for generations, that was not something that was, that we were pushed towards. And for generations, even the idea of emotional wellness was like, imagine 1950s. And a kid coming home to his father saying, I'm sad or I'm depressed. Like, what do you think would happen to that kid? To a, like in the night, he'd get smacked upside the head and say, go do the dishes. And like, you know, they didn't take mental health and emotions seriously. So it's not our intellect that makes us suffer. It is the lack of emotional intelligence and emotional training that we have lived by. And then you also mentioned like, you know, that we were talking about don't, and uh, we don't need to analyze things. You know, the, inte the intelligent people analyze, wise people don't. And the, the way that I like to express this, as far as the analysis goes, now, obviously when we're talking about world problems, yeah, we need to think about them. We need to come up with, we're, we're talking about the emotional struggles right now. You cannot logic away pain. If you had a headache and I were to sit down to you and go, all right, Denise, so you have a headache? All right, here are all of the reasons why you have a headache. Here's the, the chemicals that are going on in your brain and, and maybe, and you didn't drink enough water and 10 years ago, you got hit in the head with a baseball and there's still some trauma there. So these are all the reasons why you have a headache right now. Would that make the headache go away? Of course not. But that's what we're trying to do with our emotional pain. Like, I'm anxious. I have this turning feeling in the pit of my stomach, and I'm afraid to make connections. Okay, well, that's emotional pain. And we're analyzing it. Hmm. So people sit sometimes with a therapist for decades. I've had, I've had clients who had been through 30 years worth of therapy. And they've gone through all of the answers. They know all of the reasons where this comes from. And I am shocked and saddened to hear that sometimes 30 years worth of therapy, the therapist never gave them any tools, never gave them any skills. They just sat there and talked about what was happening in their lives now and in the past. And that's great. I'm not saying that you shouldn't talk about your life. There are issues that we could talk about if we had more time about whether venting your problems is worthwhile and, and what that does. But I'm not saying that you shouldn't talk about your problems. Just saying that 
I've known people with 30 years worth of therapy and it was all up here. And that's all well and good. And that's usually the first step. You know, people need to understand that their problems aren't some, like there's nothing wrong with them and they're, they're, they're not alone and they're not to blame. You do, a lot of people, you do need to understand that to start, but that's not going to get you anywhere. Not really. It's not going to get you to the version of yourself that you want to be. Analyzing the pain isn't going to make the pain go away. Experiencing it and recognizing that it's not a threat and learning how to open those floodgates so that all of that unresolved emotional energy can move through you so that you can shed all of those layers of armor that you built up over the years and start living as your true self, that's what's going to do it. And, or, or in another way, like you can't think your way to bigger muscles. This ain't going to happen. You can study the best ways to work out. What are the best exercises and how many reps should you do and how much should you be increasing your weight from session to session? But just analyzing the machines at the gym isn't going to build muscle. And people need to start understanding that this emotional wellness is about building emotional muscle, which is why I refer to what I do as emotional fitness training. That's the, is, the best label that I can give for myself. I'm an emotional fitness trainer. I know people are listening to this and it's a lot to digest, Benji. I know even five years ago with all the work that I did, my own inner work journey, I would have been frightened. And so for those of you guys who are listening, you're like, whoa, Benji, this is a lot. I want you to really sit and listen to what you're heart is telling what your feelings are behind the fear behind the guilt behind all that what's your heart really telling you is true right now and let that sink in and let that be your guide too many of us are letting our fears guide us but there's faith faith in yourself faith in the future faith in possibilities benji i've just just so honored just to talk with you and just having these kind of conversations with you. I, we need each other in this work, this journey called health and healing and restoration for those who are listening and that are like, I don't want this conversation to stop. Where can they find you? Where can they get more information about the work that you do? Sure. So, um, be honored. I have a couple of books out. The first one that I suggest people start with is called Feelings First Shadow Work. So you mentioned young before, shadow work, but this is, as we've been talking about, it's a feelings first approach. It's not intellectual. It's about learning how to feel. And that is going to give you the best overarching approach of, you know, what this, what this healing journey looks like, in my opinion. Um, it's available in paperback, uh, Kindle, and audiobook. Um, you can find it anywhere. The second one is called 10 Mind Hacks for Quicker Emotional Healing. Could start with that if you want, but I would suggest the other one. Uh, there's also my website, BenjiSharerCoaching.com, or there's a free webinar that I have, which you can find at BenjiSharerCoaching.com slash replay. And I have a Facebook group if you guys want to come join us. It's called Self Love and Shadow Work Modern Awakenings. I'd be honored to have you there. I post... I, you know, post writings, post videos. I answer questions there. So if you just want to connect with me a little more directly, you can find me there or head to my website and uh, you can email me. I'm around. We're going to leave links in the show notes below so that people can reach you, Benji, because I don't want people to feel stuck if connecting with you is the path that is yearning to their soul. I've just been so grateful for this conversation. If there's like any kind of closing thoughts that you want people to hear from you, from your heart um, that people need to hear. So I think the lesson that I want everyone to really start taking and absorbing for themselves is that this inner work is the most important thing that you will ever do. Everything in your external life, your job, your relationships, your parenting or your friendships or being a husband, a father, a son, a daughter, or whatever, just like every, every element, your passions, your hobbies, your self-expression, everything that you want to experience and accomplish in this life is limited by the extent to which you have done this inner work. 
by how comfortable you are feeling and processing and expressing your emotions. And for any of you that have any spiritual inkling at all, I genuinely believe that the purpose of this life is to grow and evolve in those ways. That's why you came to this planet, to focus on this inner world and to experience the outer world. But our focus needs to be on what's in here first so that we can bring a different version of ourselves out into the outside world and not the other way around. Focus on what's going on inside. Oh, what I tell my clients, and there's would need to be context behind this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, you need to bring yourself back inside. Whenever you're getting triggered, whenever you're afraid, whenever you're struggling, whenever you're uncertain about your future, you're thinking about what's happening outside of you. That that relationship and that person, and, and am I gonna uh, am I gonna get to where I want to go? Am I gonna? None of those things matter. Not exactly. They do. Life matters. I'm not saying that. But in the moment, your suffering is not about whether or not you're ever going to get to where you want to be. It's about the discomfort that you're feeling right there in that moment. And if you can learn how to face that discomfort head on, then there's no suffering or less, a lot less suffering in that moment. And then you will be that much more able to get to where it is that you want to go. So put this inner work first. Truly is an inside job. It truly is an inside job. Benji, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you for this, this, this conversation. I know that people who are listening can and must take action, if not for themselves, but for their future version of themselves. And those of you guys who are listening, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, make sure that you share it far and wide because we want to make sure that other people know that healing is not just available. It's optional and you have to choose it for yourself if you're willing well thank you again benji thank you everyone who's listening take care and be awesome